Did any of you, as children in your imagination, ever pretend that you were a Bible character? Girls, did any of you ever take a little baby doll that you had and put it in a basket and put it out in the pond somewhere and think that it was Moses? <laughs> Guys, did any of you ever take a slingshot and pretend that you were David shooting at Goliath? I never did. I certainly... We got... Oh, that's right. I need this. Thank you, sir. When you don't do this very often, you forget a few things. I never uh, saw myself as a Bible character, but I saw myself very often as, and I know this is going to date me, but that's okay. I accept that. The Lone Ranger <laughs> or the Cisco Kid. Man, I had the guns. I had the whole nine yards for that stuff. But I never saw myself. Now, some of you may have been a lot more spiritual than me, and you portrayed yourself as the Apostle Paul preaching. I've seen pictures of little kids and parents showing pictures of their four-year-old preaching. I never did that, did I, Mom? No. Never happened. I have put up here a visual for us this morning of Noah's Ark. This is something that Julie and I have been building and selling for a number of years now. And you can see at the moment the animals are going out. That's because the rainbow is on the ark, so they're leaving. But I want to use a theme this morning, and that might help us. It's a little bit smaller than Noah's Ark, okay? A little tiny bit smaller. But maybe it'll help you visualize. For this morning, the sermon title, and a couple of people have contacted me and said, I'm really intrigued with what you're going to be saying this morning from the title, Save Your Family, Build an Ark. Did you ever think that sooner or later, that's a piece I already did, right there. Did you ever think that sooner or later, every one of us comes to a Noah-like situation? We all do. When a decision has to be made, we see a world that is tuned out on God, right? And it seems to be, okay, I'm getting extreme here, but so much of what I read and see, it seems like the world in which we live is bent on going to hell, and they don't care anymore. We may not recognize it as such, but we have to make some Noah-like decisions. When we think about it, we ponder, what can I possibly do? We think, I don't want my family to be lost. I don't want to lose my own soul. Then amid the pondering, another thought maybe comes, and it's a thought from God. And maybe the Lord's going to just talk to the few of us who are listening this morning start to build an ark. Now, what on earth are you talking about? Well, maybe we'll figure it out. Because it's through that ark, through God saving us and giving us an opportunity, life can be so different. This year, 2021, now here's another one that uh, <clears throat> dates me, okay? This is 50 years that I've been up here preaching, not here in this place, but in one pulpit or another, 
50 years to the year. That's a long time. There have been a few sermons that have been okay and a lot that are very forgettable. There were a bunch of mediocre ones there. You know, it's, I hate to say this, but you know something? As a pastor, I can put a whole lot more effort in if I know I'm just preaching once a week. When I first started, I was preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, and doing a Bible study in the middle of the week as well. And man, you're putting a lot of work in. I can put a lot more work into one message, and hopefully they're a little better than some of those early years were. You're never going to know, though, because I'm never going to show you some of those sermons. But I want to say this, and I did look it up because I still have it. Probably the most impactful message I ever preached, I preached in 1984. No, dozens of people did not come to the altar that day. To the best of my knowledge, not one person did. But that sermon I preached in 1984 created a culture and a change in that church. People were taught. Now, I know that some of you talk about the pastor's message when you go home. You eat the pastor for lunch. I know that. That happens all the time. But in that message in 1984, I said something that made change happen. And the people started to talk about it for months after. I would love to dig that sermon out and preach it again. But I can't because it fit the congregation then, and it doesn't fit this congregation here now. That congregation then was just filled with people with young families, young children. Look around, guys. It ain't us. There's a few of you, but it's a few. However, I stole my title from 1984 and going to use just the title. That's it. Nothing else. Save your family, build an ark. Well, how are we going to look at that differently? I based that sermon on Genesis chapter 6. We'll look at that a little tiny bit. But we're going to look mostly really at Genesis chapter 9 and see where that leads us this morning. And I'd like to, if you have a Bible and you'd like to open it up and we'll read that a few verses together maybe. In Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 11. Now the earth had become corrupt in God's sight and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world and he saw violence and depravity everywhere. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures uh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Yes, I will wipe them all from the face of the earth. Make an ark from resinous wood and seal it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. And he goes on and tells that story. Then over in chapter 9, beginning in verse 8, Then God told Noah and his sons, I am making a covenant, and we're going to make a lot of that word here before I'm done this morning. I am making a covenant with you and your descendants, 
and with the animals you brought with you. All these birds and livestock and wild animals, I solemnly promise never to send another flood to kill all living creatures and destroy the earth. And God said, I am giving you a sign as evidence of my eternal covenant with you and all living creatures. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my permanent promise to you and to all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will be seen in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and everything that lives. Never again will there be a flood that will destroy all life. Any answers? <laughs> what does it mean to be saved? I'm not looking for you to tell me, but just think in your own heart and mind, what's it mean to be saved? Water in this story is significant. Uh, Julie pointed out to me something that you probably all know, but she's the resident theologian in our house, okay? And she said, do you recognize that the same word in Hebrew that is used for the little basket that Moses was placed in, in the boat that Noah and his family were in, is the exact same word in Hebrew. Identical word. And it is. Don't need Pastor Josh here to tell you that. He's the Hebrew scholar, but I can tell you she's right. There's something significant about the water that's there. And there's something significant in beings. Is it water that saves us? No. There are some people who believe that if you're baptized, you're, that automatically saves you. No, you can go down to the beach and just jump in, and they're not saved. But believing in Jesus Christ is absolutely vital. That is the important thing that we must know and we must share with our, with our world and people around us. That is what it, it means to be saved, isn't it? The Bible tells us that to say from our heart that Jesus is Lord. Let's actually read the scripture, look at the scripture. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. That's God's word. Now, just a little, I think, an illustration of that on both sides of, of hearing it, believing it, and then confessing it. Uh, my sister has been going to three churches every Sunday through this pandemic. They remember the Nazarene Church in Nashua, which hasn't opened its doors in all this time, so they've been doing it online. Then in their summer residents of a church up in uh, Ossipee, so they go there every Sunday. And because my brother-in-law graduated from Southern Nazarene University, they go to Bethany First Church every Sunday. So they go to three churches every Sunday, which is interesting, and it's fun for them. My mother not only comes here, she also goes to Newfoundland every Sunday. She watches a Salvation Army church up there, because, you know, Mom's background was Salvation Army. And she was telling us the other night at supper 
that someone contacted the core officers up there who is thousands of miles away, but watching that Salvation Army service, who believed in his heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and was saved. And then confessed with his mouth, wrote a letter to the core officer and said, God has changed my life. That's what it means to be saved, isn't it? To hear it, believe it, and confess it. What the Bible also teaches is that to believe is more than just a mental assent, it's saying the right things. To believe is to hear God make a promise and to respond to that promise. Maybe that's a portion uh, of what it meant for one of my uncles, my uh, my dad was the oldest in his family, and there were five of them, and my youngest uncle is only just a little older than me. He's 76. And three weeks ago, my uncle, who says he could never remember a moment in his life when he wasn't saved. He can never remember a time in his life when he wasn't in a right relationship with God. But three weeks ago, he was baptized. Likely, he was the oldest person ever in his church down there in Raleigh, North Carolina, that was ever you know, to be baptized at that age. And Don, if you're watching from Florida, I know you're the oldest <clears throat> gentleman that I ever had the joy of baptizing. Believe it in your heart. Confess it. Do something about it. But being saved is also a promise given. It's a promise given. God is a covenant-making God. He makes promises. In this Noah story, he covenanted never to destroy the world again by flood. Nearly 2,000 times in the Bible, we hear of a covenant that is being made. We live by promises. God has covenanted. You know that verse? Whosoever believes in me shall not perish. That's a covenant from God, isn't it? God has promised. He has covenanted. If we confess our sins, he will forgive our sins. God has promised, he has covenanted, that if we ask the Father, he will give us the Holy Spirit. God has promised, God has covenanted, if we abide in Jesus and Jesus' words abide in us, we can ask whatever we will and it will be done. You can look those verses up, but you know them. Our Christian life, our salvation, depends on those promises that are given. Given by the Lord. Being saved, though, is a promise received. A bunch of years ago, Julie and I went to a financial planning workshop. And uh, they treated us first to a very nice dinner. And then 
the gentleman who was doing the presentation when dinner was over and we'd had the dessert and we were all comfortably seated, he uh, picked up a brand new crisp $20 bill and he held it up and he said, and who would like this $20 bill? Well, I must admit, I put my hand up first quicker than anybody else. I was the Energizer Bunny because I had a feeling I knew exactly where he was going with that because I had used an illustration twice in ministry with holding up a $20 bill. Each time I held that $20 bill up and walked down the center aisle of the church and said, who'd like this $20 bill? Every adult went, because they figured there was some string attached. And each time I gave a $20 bill away to a kid, average age eight, probably seven. They just wanted the 20. My point was, and the point is, if it's a gift, it's a gift. It's just a gift, but you've got to receive it. You've got to take it. If I had something here for each one of you and you said, no, I don't want it, then it's not a gift, is it? Maybe it is on my part, but it's not on yours if you don't receive it. Being saved is a promise received. Received. Taken in. A gift is not a gift if you don't take it. Every promise in the word of God is conditional. God's love does not depend on whether you're good or bad. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on who God is. God's love, God loves you even when you don't deserve a thing. To pass from death to life is a mystery, but there must be, and I've got it in capital letters, a willingness to receive. To receive forgiveness, there must be confession. To be filled with the Spirit, there must be asking. But did you know that salvation is more than an experience, more than a fact of history? Being saved is a promise honored by God. Being saved is more than an event, more than a one-time happening. I am so glad that <clears throat> a few decades ago, I married Julie. And we were talking, I was talking to her the other day, just about two days ago. I said, I remember absolutely in detail every moment from getting up in the morning, the entire wedding day. I can just picture it. I can't picture yesterday, but I can picture that wedding. I can, I, I can picture walking down through town with my brother-in-law who is going to be my best man. I mean, I, I just see the whole day. The people at the reception, man, I can see it. But that's not important. What's important is what has happened in the ensuing years, what has been built on what happened standing in front of a pastor. What has happened in the ensuing years? Being saved is a promise honored. What have you done with what you have received from Jesus Christ? This is where John White gets nasty. 
under the title of Save Your Family, Build an Ark, what are you doing with your family? Whatever your family might be. Salvation is that ark of safety. A sentence for you. Unless we are living differently from the world around us, what assurance do we have? And what witness does the world see that salvation is worth anything at all? I don't think that's judging. And I don't think it's spiritual elitism. I think it's God's still small voice saying, get busy, build an ark, save your children, save your grandchildren, save that spouse that's away from the Lord, that brother or sister who needs to hear that God loves them, even though They've maybe heard it before, and they need to hear it again. For the flood is coming. Save those. What's Pastor David been saying to us for weeks now about somebody in your neighborhood, maybe, or a family member that we need to be praying for? The flood is coming. We need to be doing something about it. This Easter season, I read something from our district superintendent this week, and he used a phrase that I've not heard very often, but I certainly have heard it, so have you. He said, Easter tide, the period between now and Pentecost. This Easter season, this Easter tide, is a great opportunity to seek to honor God's covenant. Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming good news. He said, the kingdom of God is near. And where Jesus is, there is God's kingdom. But Jesus also said, what? Repent. Jesus said, believe in me. Jesus said, change the way you live. Ouch. That's the big ouch, isn't it? That really is. But that's what repentance means. Believing and changing, doing something about it. That's what it is. I started by saying in 1984, I preached a sermon that uh, really created change. But in about the year 33, there was a sermon that was preached that changed the world. The challenge of Noah sounds like a great sermon preached on that day of Pentecost. Peter challenged the good people of that day and his day to avail themselves of God's covenant-making love. And I want to put it up here for you to read. There it is from Acts chapter 2. And uh, you've all read it from the New International Version. You've read it probably a million times from uh, the King James. But there's some phrases in the message, in this paraphrase, that makes me think. And maybe it'll help you think too. Peter said, can you hear him standing up there? Change your life! 
Turn to God and be baptized. Now, he had to yell because there were at least, I mean, if 3,000 were saved, there might have been 10,000 there. Who knows? I don't know. Change your life. Turn to God. Be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins are forgiven. Receive. I think I've been saying these things. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promises targeted to you and your children, but also to all who are far away, whomever, in fact, the master God invites. That's a powerful phrase right there, too, isn't it? He went on in this vein for a long time. It was a long sermon, obviously, huh? Urging them over and over. This is the phrase that really gets me. Get out while you can. Save your family, build an ark. Get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. Wow. Sound like anything today? That day, about 3,000 took him at his word, were baptized, and were signed up. I like that. I really do. Save yourself, the King James says, from this perverse generation. I looked up perverse in the dictionary. Here, I'm just going to read it to you. Adjective, in brackets, of a person or their actions, close brackets, adjective of a person or their actions, showing a deliberate and obstinate desire to behave in a way that is unreasonable or unacceptable, often in spite of the consequences. King James might be pretty good if you understand what perverse means. Peter was not preaching self-salvation. He was preaching repentance and obedience. So I started off earlier by asking, what does it mean to be saved? It means being different from the world. It means being free from the bondage of sin. It means being in a covenant relationship with a wonderful Savior. There's an old hymn. I, I'm sure I've sung it. Janice, can you come, please? Uh, I hope we've got the words up there. Do we have the wonderful Savior number 142? But what I want to do in any case is uh, I don't like the old uh, Elizabethan English in it, but I like the context of it. The first two verses, Jesus, my King, my wonderful Savior, all of my life is given to thee. I am rejoicing in thy salvation. Thy precious blood now maketh me free. Freedom from sin, a wonderful story. All of its stains washed whiter than snow. Jesus has come to live in his temple. And with his love, my heart is aglow. Father, I thank you 
for that knowledge that you are a wonderful Savior, that you call us to you, and you have promised, you have covenanted, that if we turn to you, you will forgive us of our sins. And Lord, I ask that you might help some of us this week who know that and have known it forever and have never walked away from it, might offer that opportunity to someone else, begin to open their hearts and open some doors. For Lord God, we need that from you so desperately.